Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. It's May 24th and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns and this week it's Gabe's turn to choose the topics. In our discussion of all things queer, he chose the 2021 Eurovision Song Contest. For our conversation on all things sports, we're talking about the 2021 NBA playoffs. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're going to talk about the phenomenon that is Pride Nights. After that, we're going to share our interview with Thea Cano, the Artistic Director of the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington. First, an update on Team DC. Team DC will be celebrating Pride Week June 1st through 7th. The virtual celebration will include content from Pride Night Out partners, including the Washington Nationals, the Washington Capitals, and Old Glory DC. A conversation between out professional soccer player Colin Martin and Team DC's 2021 college scholarship recipients and a panel discussion on transgender athletes featuring the team behind the new documentary film, Changing the Game, with a live audience question portion. We'll also have workouts, yoga, healthy cooking and eating tips, and more. And Team DC's annual silent auction fundraiser will take place featuring sports tickets and memorabilia from all our night out partners. This is gonna be a great celebration of pride, so don't miss out all the great content available at teamdc.org starting June 1st. And the Pride Night Out series is back. Team DC will be celebrating Pride Night Out with the Washington Prodigy on June 5th. Tickets will be on sale for $10 at WashingtonProdigy.com. And Team DC will celebrate Pride Night Out with the Washington Mystics on June 29th, Old Glory Rugby on July 10th, the Washington Nationals on August 17th, and DC United on August 28th. Stay tuned for more details. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to help us out. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all of the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. And now here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip under the bleachers. Yay. So first off, I want to do a quick shout out to Andrea Mesa of Mexico, a.k.a. Miss Universe 2021, uh, which we call the Gay Latino Olympics that happened because it's insane. Uh, but for my queer topic, I'm again super excited. Uh, the 65th edition of the Eurovision Song Contest was held in Rotterdam, Netherlands, after being postponed last year due to the pandemic. This year's contest was full of campy performances, Eurotrash dance hits, and power ballads. 39 countries participated in two semifinal rounds, and 27 entries made it to the grand finals, which was held on Saturday. This show had everything. 
dancing German middle fingers, sweet dance moves from Lithuania and Iceland, sexy numbers from Albania, a moving performance from France, Ukrainian folk instruments, flow riders singing for a tiny country, and entries from Russia and Malta that lifted women's voices. The contest went off mostly without any major problems until the days leading to the grand finale. Eurovision producers announced that the two of the members of Iceland's entry had tested positive for COVID and were unable to perform live in the semifinals and the finals. The 2019 champion Duncan Lawrence of the Netherlands also tested positive and was unable to join the grand finals. The jury votes were neck and neck between France and Switzerland, but audience votes pushed Italy's Maneskin to the top with 524 points. An estimated 182 million viewers tuned in from around the world. So we'll see everyone in Italy next year, and hopefully the UK will have better luck as they received zero points from the juries and the audience vote. All right, Laura, I'm a big Eurovision fan. Uh, did you catch any of the performances or any of the craziness that is Eurovision? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I turned on Eurovision yesterday for the finals. And I watched the opening montage, which I don't know who those people were that sang that song. <laughs> but yeah, I watched a little bit, but honestly, I got to be honest, like two entertainers in, I think Malta I saw and somebody else. And I just, I had to turn it off. I realized like <laughs> Eurovision is not something that you should watch alone sober. Maltizo. Oh, you need, you definitely need alcohol for this. Like I was, I had been, I was working yesterday. So I like took a break to watch some Eurovision in the middle when I needed a break. And I, so I was stone cold sober and by myself. So I had nobody <laughs> to like look at and say like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> I, like I started to feel like I was a lunatic and I had to turn it off. Uh, Eurovision is bananas. Like straight <laughs> bananas. I don't even know. There were like, it felt like there were just like steam cannons going off in the background every like couple of seconds for no reason. Like oh, yeah. it wasn't organized. It was, it just was like random. Like I just expected like somebody to run through with a confetti gun at any moment. Like the whole <laughs> thing was just wild. And I couldn't, there was so much going on that I couldn't even really focus on the songs. Like, I just couldn't, like, I suddenly would realize like the person had been singing and I didn't even know like what they were saying. Like, it was just like, exactly. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. Like the visual stimulation was too much to actually <laughs> hear any of the songs. So. Um, okay, so yeah, yeah I was, you, uh, so I said my favorite, so my, I, I loved, Mal I, I called her Maltizo. Uh, with the Maltese Lizzo, she was great, but she didn't do well. Like, you know what? It was it's different to see the songs um, performed and then how they are like on YouTube or whatever. And she did a lot better, of course, in a recording studio. But yeah, when she did the performance, I was like, eh, okay, this is great. Um, <laughs> I love the girl from Tajikistan who sang for Russia, her Russian women thing, which is kind of awesome, but it's also causing a bunch of controversy in Russia. Because well, yeah, like, I mean, that's pretty ballsy. <laughs> I mean, at one point she turns to the screen and it's all these Russian women. I mean, the, the whole song is basically like women stand up for your rights. But I mean, there were trans women, gay women. Everything was on the screen. Yeah, I mean, like if she goes to Russia, is Putin going to have her murdered? Exactly. I was like, like probably. Like, I'm glad that she's not actually Russian. Yes. Because <laughs> <But she can laughs> like if she had to go home to Russia, she'd probably end up, you know, political, uh, uh, political prisoner or something. 
who else? There was a um, the one from Australia. Her name was Montaigne. She's a bi performer. She didn't make it because uh, she sucked in her performance. But it was also because she was singing in Australia because she wasn't allowed to leave the country. Yeah. So the production value was a little different. Bummer. Um, I did see a lot of people complaining on social media. So first of all, as somebody who had never heard of Eurovision until last year, the amount of Eurovision posts in my Twitter feed and my <laughs> Facebook feed was amazing. I'm like, did everybody always watch Eurovision? And I just ignored <laughs> all these posts before I had heard of what it was. But yeah, so apparently I know a lot of people who follow Eurovision, although I will say some of my favorite things in my Twitter feed were people like me who were just posting, what the fuck is Eurovision? <laughs> because I think like it being available on Peacock this year, like I think it was more available to American viewers maybe than it has in the past. Oh, yeah, so, the yeah. No, this is awesome. This is the first year we got to see the semifinals. So I saw both semifinals for the first time live. So you also missed a whole bunch of countries that didn't make it to the finale. So can you just imagine how bad those numbers were? Because they were pretty bad. So I will say this, though. I, I applaud the concept of Eurovision. And I next year think I need to, like, throw a party to get other people who have not been indoctrinated into Eurovision together with some booze and edibles and watch oh, you, some Eurovision yes. together. Like, I think I, it'll be a much different experience that way. Yeah, we had a little party and um, seeing some friends that have never seen Eurovision for the ever and we're like, what the hell are we watching? And then <laughs> getting really into it and like yelling at the screen when Switzerland got more votes than France. And it's like, what? Some of the, well, I did see a lot of people complaining on social media about how UK got zero votes. And I was like, zero? How is that possible? Zero. There were like 180 million people watching and UK got zero votes. Like, how is that possible? But yeah, I mean, who likes the UK these days anyway? I mean, he's a cute little bear, but like, yeah, he lost zero <laughs> points. I think four people in the history of the show have like gotten zero points or something wah, wah. like that. That's like no Tony. Yes, no Tony. <laughs> but it's it's also because like um whatchamacallit, uh they changed the scoring system to make it kind of easier to get points. It's and like the new SATs, like yeah, it's like Plus, the new SATs. You get six hundred points for putting your name on it, but not if you're from the UK. <laughs> not if you're from the UK. And everybody yeah, and so I, and it's all also like geopolitical too. I mean everybody hates the UK for Brexit. So you know what? We're not gonna give you any points. That's right. It's and I I, I love a uh, reality contest that is partially jade, uh, partially judged based on petty uh, bickering and differences. <laughs> oh, definitely, because you can't like that's the, the cool thing too is you can't vote for your own country. So you have to. Vote yeah, I mean, otherwise it'd be pretty friend. boring, right? It would just be a population contest. Yeah, so it's like, ooh, where's Russia gonna like vote for? You know. Who's going to vote for Russia? Uh, well, I, so yes, yay Eurovision. Um, <laughs> congratulations, Italy, on your big win. Um, we'll be, I'll San be interested Marino to see. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> no, Iceland so, was robbed. Iceland was robbed. Does Italy winning mean that they get to host the next one, or was that already planned? No, yeah, they host it. Whoever wins gets to host it and okay. basically bankrupts the country like the Olympics. Awesome. So, all right. Well, I can't wait. I'm definitely going to throw a party and uh, <laughs> maybe require people to wear 
costumes made out of alternative fabrics because i saw a lot of that at eurovision (laughs) (laughs) uh and sweet dance move do you see lithuania's dance Um, like those flying things outside of the car wash that just like yeah fly around in the wind yeah to wrap it up but just i'm i'm still upset that i did not get keytars on fire which is promised because Iceland, two of the members had COVID, so there were no keytars on fire. But they did do a cool, like, cute keytar, like, circle where they all connected their keytars together and sang, which was awesome. Like, what does two people missing have to do with fire? You can only have fire if you have a certain number of keytars. Maybe they didn't have enough budget. Iceland was like, no, we don't want to win. Moldova had really hot backup dancers, but I was also promised dancing ice cream cones with sexy legs and that did not happen and i'm very upset well that's why they didn't win they didn't win i was like if moldova had that they would have won i would have voted for the flaming keytars myself but (laughs) as an american i probably don't get a vote you don't get a vote i tried i've tried for years to vote and i always (laughs) get that no you don't live with us sorry (laughs) oh boo maybe we should start the American version of Eurovision. Maybe that can be our next business plan, Gabe. Um, it's coming this fall. Oh, that's right. We talked about Remember we talked about this in the last season? Do we know yet who's competing for the District of Columbia? Should we get a dance Um, number? I don't think they've had the the contest yet, but I I know it's it's all 50 states, District of Columbia, and the territories. I mean, I feel like we should get a band together and get- We could totally do that. All right, that's the plan. Everybody, keep your eye out for Gabe and I. Uh, we're going to probably be having auditions soon. Um, Gabe, before we get too deep into the weeds of planning our American Eurovision number, what is going on in the world of sports this week? I need my accordion, but okay, going back. All right, moving on to my sports topic. The NBA playoffs are back, but this time with the twist. Prior to the 2020. 2021 season, the NBA Board of Governors agreed to create a play-in tournament where the 7th through 10th ranked teams from the East and West Conference get a chance to make it to the playoffs. The 7th and 8th seed, based on the regular season winnings percentage, would face off and the winner would become the 7th seed in the playoffs. The 9th and 10th seed would play each other and the winner played the loser of the 7-8 game for the 9th seed slot. Sure. Um, how did it come out? Uh, in the West, the Lakers beat the Warriors and became the seventh seed, while the, my Spurs lost to the Grizzlies, who beat the Warriors and became the eighth seed. In the East, the Celtics beat the Wizards and became the seventh seed, and the Hornets lost to the Pacers, who lost to the Wizards, who are now the eighth seed. And now the playoffs begin with the traditional 16 best of seven series. The Western Conference is wide open, while the East has three favorite teams the 76ers, the Nets, and the Bucks. Once the Spurs lost, uh, basketball season basically ends for me, but let's see what happens. This year was plagued with injuries and COVID, but the playoffs is always the best time of the year. All right, Laura, so did you uh, know about this new play-in tournament that was created and all the craziness that happened last week just so we can have the NBA playoffs? Yeah, I knew about it. I heard about it. People were talking about it. It was the only way the Wizards had a chance of making the playoffs. And it turns out they they made it through. So I guess for local fans, it was a good thing. I don't know that it was necessary. Like they already have a suck fucking 16 team playoff. Like that's a lot of teams in the playoffs. Why do we need like more teams? Like the whole thing to me, but I guess like it's hard with basketball. If you, you have to play like 400 games to figure out like who's really the best. 
because you know basketball games can be can come down to the final second and like trying to judge which team is better based on a one game series is impossible so you need a lot of games to really shake out who the best teams are so i guess maybe that was the uh the thought behind it giving uh more of a chance to to figure it all out but i don't know i i everybody seems to be changing things up this year like i don't know why like it's necessary. I, I think, you know, we should all, we should just go back to like the good old days when nobody made the playoffs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, yeah, no, I honestly, the NBA is like fun, but not as fun as college basketball. And I kind of feel like the season goes on forever. They don't need to add more uh, drama to the end of it, but I am rooting for the 76ers go Sixers. That's my team always has been back since I fell in love with Charles Barkley as a young, as a young child. Uh, so that's who I'm rooting for. And, uh, I, yeah, that's about it. That's all I have to say about the NBA playoffs go Sixers and good luck to the home team, Washington, whatever they're called these days. <laughs> no, so I've been cracking up. There's, there's a video where Charles Barkley is trying to explain, this like playing tournament or whatever and he's just like well the loser from here plays this loser and that loser is the loser and they play that loser and this bunch of losers plays this tournament of losers to play the number one seed and get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs basically. yeah that's that sounds exactly like what charles barkley would say about everything <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of like the whole thing when they added the playoff game to the NCAA tournament, it's like, okay, so on the one hand with the NCAA tournament, I get it because there are like some teams, some schools that are like so small, they're never going to compete to be like to actually get a bid to the tournament right but like with those schools it's like a different team every year these are kids college kids so like you give them this extra opportunity for a school that would never make the tournament to make the tournament and it's fun and it's like great for the players and like whatever do professionals actually need that like if you're a professional basketball player and you know you're gonna fucking lose in the first round to the best team in the nba so you're just like competing for the like honor of being defeated by the <laughs> or like whatever like as a professional do you really want that like i know we say that these people are very competitive and that they want every chance to play to win but I don't know. I think they might just want their vacation to start. <laughs> so I don't know that it adds that much like fun drama to the playoffs. So I, I, I don't think it's necessary, but whatever. They don't pay me the big bucks to run the NBA. I'm just glad that Steph Curry lost and he's out. Um, what do you have against Steph Curry? I have a huge vendetta against the Warriors because of what they did to my Spurs oh, Lord. What, three, four years ago. You still, I'm still angry and bitter. Still angry and bitter. <laughs> You're bitter that they beat the Spurs. Not what yeah. they did to the Spurs. So that they beat the Spurs. <laughs> that they were a superior team and they beat the Spurs. We don't talk about that. I mean, Steph Curry, this is the thing about Steph Curry. He's kind of like nothing but likable. Find a bad thing about Steph Curry. Like he's, he's a, he plays like a very clean game. He's not like one of these overly physical in the, you know, cause he's an outside guy, right? He's not down in 
banging elbows around. So, you know, he's like, and then he's like this like religious, like family man who like gives all his money to charity. I mean, he's almost like too likable. Like I feel like he might have bodies buried somewhere, but honestly, I don't know how anybody could have a problem with Steph Curry. And the reality is like, he's got a beautiful shot. Yeah. Right. I mean, there he's just he <laughs> and the man like can find the basket from anywhere. So I I I'm gonna go out on a limb and say get over it. The Spurs will have their day. <laughs> I don't think you could hold I don't think you could hold that against Steph Curry. Um but yeah, no, whatever. I uh I will watch some NBA playoffs because things get more fun when there's a you know, when your season's on the line. Um, and I'm excited always for playoffs to start. Gabe, what's going on at the intersection of sports and queer? All right. So now for this week's topic of the intersection of sports and queer. So it's almost June, which means it's time to iron your LGBTQ plus flags and get your pride looks ready. Team DC is proud to announce that the night out series is back. But why do we have pride nights? Is it just corporate pandering to the community or do they actually serve a purpose? For many LGBTQ plus sports fans, Pride Night gives us a sense of belonging and acceptance in the sports community. I mean, how cool is it to see your sports heroes wearing rainbow numbers or an armband? Pride Nights are also a way to change a sports organization from the inside. Australia's Monash University published a study where they found that hockey teams in Australia that held Pride Nights had a 40% drop in homophobic language used by the players. Pride Nights have also positively affected fans in the stands and those watching on TV. And don't forget those cute kiss cam moments. It's another reminder that sport unites people from different backgrounds. We just hope teams will take a note and not end up like the St. Louis Blues, who scheduled a pride night when the team was playing an away game. We'll see you with the Washington Prodigy on June 5th, the Washington Mystics on June 29th, Old Glory Rugby on June 10th, and the Washington Nationals on August 17th, and DC United on August 28th. All right, Laura. So um, for you, how important are pride nights? So I I think they're really, okay. They're important. And for me, they're super fun, right? Like I'm a sports fan. I go to games anyway. It's like a fun night where you go to a sporting event, which you enjoy anyway, but get to sit in a huge like section full of rainbows and happiness and happy people. And it's great. Like it's (laughs) just, it's a really, for somebody who enjoys sports anyway, it's like just like an extra fun um, twist on a game night, right? Um, I also think though, it is hugely important because, you know, for people who aren't as much of sports fans, uh, it's a good way to introduce them and they might find something that they like, you know, I know a lot of gay boys that I've taken to pride nights and they're suddenly like, Hey, you know, basketball is actually pretty fun. And then they become a basketball <laughs> Live fan. Basketball like, is fun. Yeah. Like, like, so it's, fun. Well, yeah, that's the thing. So it's like a cool way to open people up to new things. And like you said, the most important part of it is it just helps to start normalizing stuff that should be normal, right? So families are out at the basketball game. They didn't know it was going to be Pride Night. And all of a sudden, the kiss cam shows some guys kissing in the audience. Well, that's great because maybe these kids wouldn't have been um, exposed to something like that before. And now their parents can be like, yeah, that's totally cool. And, you know, So it it is a great opportunity to just remind everybody that everybody can be a sports fan and, you know, sports can unite all different types of people. And as far as the whole like corporate angle, people complain all the time about like, is pride being co-opted by corporations? To some extent, yes. But to me, I kind of like 
don't mind that. I, I think it's about time that corporations started pandering to the gays. We spend so much money on so much <laughs> crap. Like corporations should absolutely be coming and like pandering to us. So, you know, I'm all for it. Um, June has got to be the best. It's the most fun month of the year because everybody has a reason to hang a rainbow outside and who doesn't love a freaking rainbow? Exactly. Um, well, I'm just like talking about like for personal experience. I remember the last pride night out that we had with um, the wizards. I remember being in line uh, to get into the game and just hearing the conversations like this one guy was rolling his eyes like oh it's gay night or whatever and his girlfriend like slapped him and was like yeah and what and they were having this whole conversation I'm just like casually you know leaning in and listening and I'm like okay thank you girlfriend for slapping your boyfriend and being like don't be such an asshole yeah now dump his ass because he's an idiot <laughs> exactly <laughs> learning moments <laughs> No, but it all, yeah, that's absolutely right. Like people who roll their eyes at things like this, they're the ones that they need it because you need to be exposed to people and realize that like, oh yeah, people are fucking people who deserve to be treated with respect. And if you're rolling your, your eyes at anybody's pride in who they are, you your problem is you. Yeah. Yeah. But I am a huge fan of Pride Night. I never want to see Pride Night end. But, you know, I love Celtic Heritage Night at the rugby game. And I used to love when it was like Dominican Night at the Mets games because there was such a huge Dominican population and everybody brought instruments to the games. And it was <laughs> fucking wild. Like the stands would just be going wild. Everybody was waving flags and playing instruments. And it was super fun. Like I'm all for celebrating Pride in who you are however you want to do that. And if you're an organization who has fans from all walks of life, giving every, each you know group a special night to say, we appreciate you is an awesome fucking thing for them to do. So who, yeah. you know, why would you have a problem with that? Yeah, and I, and I think it's, it's important also for us to support these nights and these organizations and be like, look, they're actually trying to come out to the community and say, hey, we support you. So we got to support them as well. Yeah, 100%. And I appreciate, honestly, I truly appreciate when, like, an organization like the Washington Nationals, who, you know, I'm a Mets fan, but I spend a lot of money at the Nats because that's my local team and, where, and I like to go to live baseball. So I go there and I spend a lot of money to watch them play baseball. And I appreciate that they take the time out to say we appreciate our queer fans. I really do. Like, they recognize that we're an important part of their fan base and they acknowledge us and, and thank us. And I think that's great. And I, I, for one, think there should be more celebration. And I'm also, I want more rainbows. I want fireworks and I want free beer. Oh yeah, they're, they're probably <laughs> excited because I remember I think the last two night outs, we've drank all the beer in the section. <laughs> yeah, we ran out of Bud Light. And our we ran out of Bud Light. Year, I'm like, we don't even like Bud Light. We just drank all the Bud Light because there was rainbows out the cans. <laughs> How do you drink the, the, all of the Bud Light of a stadium. Like, I don't understand. I, I mean, it's because we were thirsty. <laughs> Did you, and then, okay, that's what the, the, okay, the fireworks thing. Did you go to the DC United game where, yes, uh, with, the, with the, the rainbow smoke in the stand? <laughs> Which is amazing, right? Like, come on, more, I want more of that. I want more <laughs> of that. And also, like, the drinking of all the Bud Light is just like a perfect example of what I'm saying, which is that gay people. Like really, there have been studies about how much money gay people add to the economy. Like 
we just spend our disposable income on the most silly things <laughs> and ever so like the fact cat, that cat I, that's right and i mean there are a lot of companies out there who should be doing more to thank their queer fans i'm just yes. saying just putting it out there and we tip <laughs> right absolutely um and i am excited i for one am excited for the uh upcoming prodigy pride night it's been too long since we've celebrated a pride night so i will be at the Washington Prodigy Pride Night on June 5th at Dunbar High School. I hope that you will be there too. And I hope that many others who are listening will get their tickets at WashingtonProdigy.com and join us. It's going to be fun. The DC Different Drummers are going to perform. I believe Cheer DC will be there uh, cheering the team on. It'll be a great night of women's tackle football. All right. That's this week's Under the Bleachers roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll share our interview with Thea Cano, the artistic director of the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington. Okay. Today we're joined by Thea Cano, the artistic director of the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington. Welcome, Thea. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Um, let's dive right in. Tell us what is the Gay Men's Chorus? The Gay Men's Chorus of Washington, D.C. is a performing arts organization that uh, performs, raises its voice uh, for equality for all people. Uh, we are singers and dancers. We put on shows and we have a huge, very, very um, big outreach program where uh, we perform in non-pandemic times, uh, about 100 performances throughout the um, the area for, for each year throughout the DMV area. Um, and again, raising our voice for equality and justice for all people. Terrific. Um, so I know you just celebrated relatively recently an anniversary of some kind. Give us a little brief summary of the history of the Gay Men's Chorus. We are in our 40th season. So this is our anniversary season and the actual anniversary is in June, June 28th of this year. Um, and that is because 40 years ago, um, a woman by the name of Marsha Pearson attended a concert at the Kennedy Center. And that was when the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus was on tour, had a national tour and performed here in DC. And she was in attendance and she walked out and turned to whoever she had gone to the concert with and said, Washington DC needs something like this. And then she and her sister uh, came up with some flyers grabbed some of their your probably best gay boyfriends and uh, <laughs> papered DuPont Circle area with um, announcements about a rehearsal happening a week from Sunday or whatever it was. Um, and the rest is history. And in fact, to this day, we still rehearse on Sunday evenings um, in honor of that establishment. All right. That's very cool. Awesome. And how big is the organization? I mean, how many people usually come out to uh, rehearsals? Well well, yeah, we currently have over 300 members. Um, and as far as coming to rehearsals, and again, non-pandemic pandemic times, we typically have about 175 to 200 performers on stage for each of our main stage performances. Wow. Do you all rehearse all at once? I assume you have to rehearse in sections or something because that would be crazy. It is crazy. And we do <laughs> rehearse all at once. <laughs> um, but we also rehearse in sectional. So we... Um, just we, we meet um, in a big, huge room where we're all able to, um, you know, fit that many singers. And uh, we typically rehearse between six to 12 weeks um, for a concert, depending on um, what, what the show is and, and how long it's going to be. Um, again, most of these things I'm going to be saying to you are have to do with the um, pre-pandemic times. And 
God willing, very soon in the post-pandemic times. Uh, we are, but that said, we're currently rehearsing via Zoom, also on Sunday nights, and we have over 100 people who, who sign in every Sunday night. Um, and with Zoom, we're able to actually go into separate rooms and hold those sectionals you're mentioning and then come back together and, and throw it all together. All right. Well, bless you, because that sounds like uh, quite a process. Um, well, so that's interesting. You said that there were some women who were at the heart of getting the organization started, but I couldn't help but notice that your name is the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington, D.C. <laughs> right? So have women been performing with the Gay Men's Chorus from the very beginning? I don't think from the very beginning, um, I mean, at least any women who had people identify as being female, um, I will say in the last several years, um, we have, we, we've had more and more women come to um, sing with us, and that is uh, cisgendered women as well as trans women. Um, and so I would, like I said, I would say that, that about the last six, seven years or so, maybe more like 10, uh, we've been seeing uh, much more diversity with gender um, expression, certainly, um, in our membership, which is wonderful. We're, we're very proud of that and really thrilled about that. So my curiosity has peaked. Um, has there been any consideration about changing the name of the organization to sound more inclusive of other genders or other sexual orientations beyond gay men? You know, as a matter of fact, in the last two years or so, we did a, a deep dive um, into a rebrand for the organization um, in anticipation of our 40th anniversary. You know, new look, new logo, that's, that's not unusual for an organization to do that. And we um, had an outside marketing company come work with us and uh, create a, a poll where they surveyed our members, they surveyed patrons, past alumni, past members, um, staff, board members, and there are dozens of questions. But one of them was, should the Gay Men's Course of Washington, D.C. keep its name? With the idea of you know we 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 want to be inclusive you know and to your point it obviously sounds like okay is it just gay men who are part of this organization eighty five percent of the responses said absolutely not we are we do not want to change the name of the organization okay. and that is because we as they say we stand on the shoulders of our founders and you know the the reason we were founded was for um, a group of gay men to come together to raise their voice for the LGBTQ community. Um, in song. And we have you know, certainly found over the years, time and time again, that that message of equality sometimes does not get through necessarily in just a conversation, but, but music can be the difference that, that gets uh, um, into, uh, get, gets through, if you will, and uh, changes hearts and opens minds. Okay, fair enough. Awesome. So um, how many performances do y'all normally uh, give per year? Do you yeah, in a typical year live, uh, we have, uh, the full chorus has three main uh, performances we do, and that is our, our holiday concert, which is our most popular one. And I think if you were to ask the members, probably their favorite one. Um, and then uh, we have a March show and then a June show for Pride. Um, additionally, we have two other, um, three other, I'm sorry, shows that are part of our subscription series. One is our cabaret we do each fall. Another is our small ensemble uh, performance because we have five small ensembles, uh, which are our outreach ensembles. And that is uh, anywhere from uh, a group of uh, 14 up to a group of about 32. And that also includes our dance company. And we have those uh, groups so that we can more easily go out into the community to do um, performances at community centers or for cocktail parties. And, you know, whenever we get asked to uh, sing, maybe at a conference and so on, it's a lot easier to take out a small ensemble than to take 
200 people out. <laughs> um, and then the other concert that we um, have added to our uh, repertoire, if you will, in the last several years is our Gen Out Youth Chorus concert. You mentioned the Gen Out. Can you tell us what Gen Out is? Gen Out Youth Chorus is our youth chorus um, that is one of only nine LGBTQ plus allied youth courses in the nation, uh, which we started about seven years ago. Um, and that actually came out of our Gen Out School Outreach Program, which has been around at least 20 years, I'll say, where, um, and we still, in fact, have this outreach program um, into the schools where a group of our singers will go um, to a school and either um, meet with the GSA or meet with uh, maybe an assembly um, at the school and sing and then talk to um, the singers. And about seven years ago, um, we were leaving a gig and um, it was at a high school and the chorus teacher there approached me and said, have you ever thought about having a youth chorus? Because I have a, several students in my youth program here who I think would love to be part of that and would certainly benefit from an opportunity like that. And uh, so the ED and I got back in the car and before we got back to the, the, the office, we talked about it like, you know what? I think it's time. Let's do this. So here we go. That's are. very cool. How big is the Gen Out Chorus today? We have right now about 40 singers are participating. Um, and right now during uh, the pandemic time, we have um, singers from um, the Nashville major minors joining us because that particular ensemble is not able to meet right now. And so we've invited them um, into this process with us now, which is really cool. It's an opportunity for, um, you know, taking advantage of, this, situ of this, this setting, if you will, that we are, you know, virtual and so you really don't have to be in dc to sing with us but in addition to them or i should say other than them we have about uh, 32 or so uh, members who are actually in the dmv area cool so um let's see one of our listeners let's say they want to uh join uh the game men's course what how do you audition or how do you get involved you go to our website, gmcw.org, and you uh, find the auditions tab and you fill up the form there. To sing at the Gaiman's Chorus, um, one needs to have uh, to be able to sing in the tenor bass range because that is the music that we, we sing. Um, and then you just have a, a lovely voice that, that matches pitch. Um, you don't have to have experience singing in a chorus, but it helps a lot. Uh, the audition process involves me vocalizing them to hear their range and then um, they sing for us a solo they prepared. And then if they're chosen, they get you know, put into a uh, voice part based on the range that I heard. Um, but as far as having experience in a chorus, it definitely helps because you are thrown in real fast and we do a lot of work and learn a lot of music. So if you've ever made your way through a choral score, it's just gonna be that much more work for you. It certainly can be done and shouldn't be the discouraging thing. This means a little bit more homework. Gotcha. Do you have, um auditions at set times each year or can people sign up to audition anytime we hold auditions uh, generally right before the beginning of a new concert period so you talked a little bit about the, the ensembles and the big ensemble but what about the equality tours the equality tours are one of the, my favorite things that we do uh, because they are just so enriching and uh, you really can feel the impact they make not just on the community for which we sing but on the members um, we have taken a Southern Equality Tour where we went through several states, Virginia and the, and the Carolinas and Georgia, uh, Alabama. It was an incredible experience um, and where we were on the road for five days and we had three buses. Uh, the next year we did the Northern Equality Tour 
which was a little bit of a misnomer, but we went through to West Virginia, up around Ohio, um, and back down through Pennsylvania. And then, um, I guess it was two years ago now, just before um, the pandemic, we uh, did our New York Equality Tour because it was the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And so we made our way up there and sang throughout the city and um, participated in a, in a huge uh, equality concert at Carnegie Hall. What do you think is the role um, for an LGBTQ-centered chorus? And do you think it's still important to have an LGBTQ-centered chorus in 2021? Uh, to answer the question about 2021, absolutely. All you have to do is read the headlines. Um, we, of course, were established as an LGBTQ organization, and we certainly still are that. Uh, we are an arts organization, and we are a social justice organization as well. And we raise our voice for all people facing inequality and injustice. Um, the LGBTQ um, uh, community is certainly a marginalized community as is there's uh, women and uh, people of color and, and so on. So as, until everyone has, in, I wanna say in America, in the world, until everyone has equal rights and opportunities um, and are treated fairly and justly, we will have a lot to sing about. Do you have any secrets or what's the, uh... What's the secret sauce or the secret tip for staying around for over 40 years? I can't share my secrets. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, first thing that came to mind is relevance. Um, we really do, speaking of headlines, we do try to you know, stay on top of what is going on um, in the world, what is being discussed, what are the challenges, and uh, program our music, our shows around those themes. Um, so that we have, we can use that as an opportunity to start those very important conversations. You know, if one person in the audience hears a message and, and their, their mind is changed um, to be that much more open and tolerant, then we've done our job. Or it could also be someone who, who comes in and is hurting because they have been treated um, unfairly, um, unjustly, and there's a message in our music that gives them hope, then we've done our job. And the list goes on. You know, we're always talking to each other, the members um, before a show saying, you know, someone in the audience needs to hear you sing for that person. Now, if somebody like me really wanted to be involved with the chorus, but was tone deaf, <laughs> do you have any sort of volunteer opportunities or any other ways for people to get involved? Well, let me ask you this. Do you dance? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> we do the dance company. Um, which, which, by the way, is not made up entirely of our singing members. There are some dancers who are there to, to simply to dance. So that is an opportunity. But to your question about support, absolutely. We have a support team um, of folks that help in all aspects of the behind the scenes um, work that we do. Everything from administration, stuffing envelopes you know, for an end of year campaign, um, greeting guests um, as they arrive for an event, um, passing out playbills at the theater, and working in the scene shop and helping to build the sets or the risers on which we stand um, or to create the costumes or to help with makeup. I mean, the, really, the list goes on. So absolutely, if you have any skill that you want to share um, that, that you, you could think might be helpful, um, not that uh, you don't have to have a lot of skill to stuff envelopes, but if you're not afraid of paper cuts, no, we, <laughs> we definitely um, can use all, you know, we're, we are a volunteer-based organization, and so we count on folks. Um, and if people go to your website, they'll find um, opportunities to volunteer or a way to contact somebody about that? Absolutely. There's a contact us um, portion there and you can just put into the body of the email, you know, what's your, you know, hey, I want to help. Um, here's, here's what I have to offer and here's my hours, whatever. Um, absolutely. The website, right. gmcw.org. 
<laughs> and you mentioned um, your end of year campaign. Um, let everybody know where they can go if they want to support you financially, but also do you have any um, major fundraising events during the year that you want people to know about? Again, on our website, we have a um, donation page, uh, which also lists the benefits of being um, a donor um, at, at all levels. And then each year we have a major fundraising event called the Spring Affair, which happens in May. It's May 1st this year. Um, this year's theme is a Ruby Jubilee in honor of our 40th anniversary, um, which is going to be virtual. And um, at the event, when it's not virtual, you know, in, in other times, we do, we have a, a big grand uh, party, you know, uh, downtown someplace at a hotel, and we have live entertainment and, 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 and a silent auction and a live auction. Um, at our small ensembles, um, many of them perform. For the virtual event, uh, we will be doing a, a, um, a one-hour show with um, a celebrity guest MC to be announced very soon. Keep an eye out on our website. <laughs> um, and then a couple of our, our small ensembles will also perform. And um, th that's an opportunity to just kind of hear more about what it is we do um, and an opportunity to make a donation. Great. Yeah, I really think that the summer soiree that you hosted last year with Leslie Jordan as your celebrity host was one of my very favorite virtual events of the year. Well, thank you. Yes, uh, we had a lot of fun doing that one. And actually, uh, the Washington Blade awarded us best virtual event of the summer. Um, so I'm glad you agreed that it was a good time and we were, we were thrilled. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree and I voted for you and I'm glad that you won that award. Thank you. <laughs> Um, Thea, I want to thank you again for joining us. This has been really interesting and helpful, and I'm sure that everybody's going to be excited to learn more about the chorus. Before I let you go, do you want to plug your website one more time? And if you have any social media handles you want to let people know about? Sure, absolutely. Again, the website is gmcw.org. And on the website, we'll list our specific Facebook and, and Twitter and, and Instagram um, links. Uh, Very cool. Thanks so much, Thea. It's been nice talking to you. Thanks to both of you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.